This week we're talking about working with integrity and having faith at work. And faith at work is not something we normally think about. We normally think of these as two separate worlds. The world of work, where we're guided by our protocols, our standard operating procedures, our actions, goals, documentation. And if we work for a for-profit company, maybe make a little bit of money at the end of the day. And then the world of church, where we fellowship, we pray, we worship, we lift each other up with praise and with grace. And we fight for the separation of church and state. Like we want to keep our Sunday selves pristine for Sunday, far away from the grime and the mud of work that might get it dirty. We have our two worlds. We want to keep them apart. But if we're going to be intentional about our faith at work, we have to be willing to get our Sunday best a little dirty so that the light that shines within us from our faith can illuminate our work world and our work as being an act of praise and worship to a loving God. Please join me in prayer. Loving God, may the words of my mouth be your words and the understanding of all our hearts be pleasant in your eyes as we seek how to be faithful followers all the days of the week. Amen. This week, we're continuing our study of Alan Jackson's book, Intentional Faith. And we're focusing on the chapter, Intend to Work with Integrity. The Bible is filled with stories about work. From the early part of Genesis, where God set the example of working by working five days to create the earth and create everything in it. And, on, and creating man and woman on the sixth day and then resting on the Sabbath. Oh, it worked. <laughs> we read in Genesis, the heavens and the earth and all who live in them were completed. On the sixth day, God completed all the work that he had done. And on the seventh day, God rested from all the work that he had done. God blessed the seventh day and made it holy because on it, God rested from all the work of creation. So he created Adam and Eve on the sixth day and Adam and Eve were tasked with taking care of the Garden of Eden. And they were followed by many others who God gave tasks to. Uh, Noah built the pleasure cruise. Put all the animals on it. And it's a great big ark. <laughs> and so he, he, he saved you know, who God told him to save for creation so that we could continue, our, continue mankind. Moses led the Israelites from slavery. David, who was a great king, great example of faith and dedication, and while still a fallen man. All the prophets in the Old Testament, the disciples who accompanied Christ, Paul, a tent maker and teacher, and Timothy, who was assigned to care for the widows and children. God gave them all a job to do, work that was vital to the establishment of the kingdom. Jackson encourages us to view our work not as a secular duty to put food on the table or roof over our heads and pay our bills. He encourages us to look at our work as a duty from a, with a higher, from a higher calling. Work is our assignment from God to further the establishment of the kingdom. As he wrote, you may have human bosses, and if you're a stay-at-home mother, 
You may have one who cannot speak in complete sentences. But ultimately, you don't work for the party checking your timesheet or signing your checks. Your employer is is a loving, eternal, benevolent father who wants you to carry his love into the world through your assignment. How you do your work reflects on how you see your assignment and indirectly on your relationship with God that gave you that assignment. Many of us don't think of our work as an assignment from God. It's a job. It's a career. It's what we do to earn, earn money to order to provide for our families. But providing for our families is also ordained by God. In 1 Timothy, if someone doesn't provide for their own family, and especially for a member of their household, they have denied their faith. They are worse than those who have no faith. So that's all this, you know, providing for our family is blessed by God. So whatever job we have to do that is also an assignment to us for building the kingdom. Now, at this point, I must define work as not just something you do for money, since many of the folks in this room are retired, and, but they're, not, they're far from just sitting on the porch and watching the world go by. Is that a fair assessment? Yes, no, okay. Webster defines work as a physical or mental activity undertaken to achieve a purpose and involving the expenditure of effort the end or purpose for which one expends such effort. Work for our purpose is that which we do to serve someone or something else. It may be volunteer work. It may be punching a time clock for a part-time job. It may be working full-time. It's something that we do that involves folks that are outside of our house or our family. It takes effort. It takes purpose. It achieves a purpose in doing that. And thinking of work as an assignment from God requires a paradigm shift from what our society teaches us. How many times have we been categorized by what we do? You meet someone for the first time, and the first thing they ask is, what do you do? Or we ask them, what do you do? What we do is wrapped up in how we identify ourselves, both to others and to ourselves. I'm a, I'm a teacher, I'm a lawyer, I'm a politician, I'm an engineer, I'm a musician. But no matter what it is, Jackson wants us to see it as an assignment from God. And those, may not, those assignments that we get from God may not be what we think it should be. I never expected to become a, be a preacher or a teacher. But at age 54, mind you, not a spring chicken, at 54, I got ordained as a deacon at the Rio Texas Conference. And here I am at age 60, finishing my first year as a teacher. 60, first year teacher. Just let those words sink in. And you're thinking, oh my gosh, is he crazy? I will t- I will, I'll tell you at the end of next week. <laughs> I never thought I'd be a teacher. I, I grew up in a family of teachers. I had, my mom was a teacher. 
My dad was trained as a teacher, had aunts that were teachers. I had a librarian. I had an uncle that was a principal, an uncle that was a superintendent. And when I went to college at UT, in the College of Education, I got the one major that wasn't a teacher. So again, I said, I would never plan on being a teacher. But when I retired from the state health department, I thought at that time God was leading me to work towards work in health ministry at a church, at a church agency, maybe a nonprofit. Keep doing similar to what I was, had been doing for the previous 25 years. God led to me public education. First as a job coach in Leander, and then as a high school coach now up in Belton. It was not the assignment that I sought, but it was the assignment I was given. And while I feared what I was getting into because it was so different from what I'd done before, I knew that even though God was leading me into my wilderness, I knew he was equipping me as, as we went. I knew I wasn't alone. Now, God's assignments, they're not always easy. And there may be pain involved. In my case, I started six weeks into the school year. The teacher they had hired for my position died of COVID. And so I was hired to take her place. I taught subjects that were way outside of my comfort zone, like child development, mental health. I worked in physical health and chronic disease prevention, teaching how to do counseling and mental health. I'm teaching uh, human, human services, which for them is defined as anything, any service that's given to a human. So I've done from everything from counseling to real estate in that class. I'm not a realtor. Tore my rotator cuff, breaking up a fight between two girls. I gotta tell you, when girls fight, they fight. They, they're serious about it. I mean, guys will back off when somebody breaks, tries to break them up. Girls, you know, they, they kept after it even after we grabbed them. And then a few weeks ago, we had a fight just down the hall, in one of the bathrooms down the hall from my classroom that resulted in the death of a student. For my kids, for my students, of course, that was on top of the usual teenage years angst. How many of us remember being a teenager? How many of us remember being really easy? How many of us want to do that again? I don't see any hands going up. You know, these kids were dealing with the angst of being teenagers. They're dealing with homelessness or dealing with issues at home. They're dealing with mental health issues. They're dealing with, you know, the wonderful world of sex and sexual identity issues. Not to mention worried about grades. These children were fearful. They were hurting. They desired to be seen as an individual. They needed to know that they were the beloved children of God. But even, if, even in an environment that God was ever-present but unspoken, they needed to experience that unconditional love and grace. They needed to see that they had a champion in their corner. They needed to see God's hands and feet in their lives. That was my assignment. 
Have you seen folks during the week that are hurting and need to see God's love in their lives? If they, even if they don't know it? Evangelist Ed Dobson spent a year living like Jesus. He actually wrote a book, A Year Living Like Jesus. And part of his experience with that that he wrote about was hanging out where the people who were more of the world than of the church. Now, he was a, also a professor at a very evangelistic college up in the Chicago area. They weren't real thrilled with him going to bars. But Jesus hung out with the folks who were more of the world than, just of the, than, than they were of the church. So if you're going to live like Jesus, you need to be where the people are. And he's saying these are the same people, folks he saw there are the same people we see at work as our coworkers, as our customers. The same folks to whom our assignment may be to show the love of God and the reality of having God in our daily lives. When I started doing the research and preparing for this, I was reminded of a time when Bethany, under the leadership of Alan Goldsberry and some others, we hosted televised seminars once a year from noted minister and leadership guru, John Maxwell. In his book, Life at Work, Maxwell points out that the challenge many of us face is being the same person on Monday that we are on Sunday, or in our case, on Saturday. Because we think of work as secular and church as holy. Neither world seems to understand or value the whole of who I am. Work says my faith is strictly personal. Leave it at home. My Christian culture says that working for the world is a waste. Give it up. Both are so isolated from each other. The church and the office hang out in different parts of town. They speak different languages. Yet they both demand my allegiance. I feel like a child of divorce caught up in the middle of two parents. I have two different homes. Different parts of me live in each one. I want a life that is whole again. Sometimes I wish I could get my two worlds to talk to each other. In this book, he also quoted, said Charles Swindell hit the nail on the head when he remarked, we've become a generation of people who worship, at our, who worship our work, who work at our play, and who play at our worship. But work is holy. Work is where we take the church with us into the world. Work is where we find those who are hurting, those who are lost, those who need to know they are loved and accepted. Work is where the proverbial rubber meets the road, meets the road in our faith journey. We have to work at worshiping God in all areas of our life, when we work, when we play, and when we're at church. I wish I could say it was easy, but if it was easy, we wouldn't be preaching about it. It's easy to feel holy in a holy place, like when we're in church. But since God is everywhere, doesn't that make our workplaces holy? We use the same tools, same brand copy machines we have at Bethany, we had my work. Same brand computers, same printers, pens and paper. And we interact with the same types of folks, broken, sinners who have fallen short of perfection, 
and in need of God's love. But the key to being the same person on Monday that you are on Sunday is looking inward at why we do what we do. Who does the work we do glorify? Our work is an intimate expression of our faith. Work glorifies God in how we are stewards of the parts of the creation that is part of our assignment from the Creator. In Colossians written, whatever you do, do it from the heart for the Lord and not for the people. You know that you will receive an inheritance as a reward. You serve the Lord Christ. Whether you are a teacher, a nurse, a plumber, or a politician, since Adam and Eve, we've been put on this earth to care for God's creation in ways that bring God's glory. That doesn't mean preaching or trying to share, issues, share Jesus with every breath, unless that's your assignment. It means simply doing what you're doing in a way that shows your faith and the love of the one who resides inside you. Fill the copier at work with the same joyful heart you fill the copier at church. Your work is a service offering to the world God created. Jesus modeled serving others throughout his ministry. But let me mention one example that we probably won't see in corporate America. Jesus knew that the Father had given everything into his hands and that he came from God and was returning to God. So he got up from the table and took off his robes. Picking up a linen towel, he tied it around his waist. Then he poured water into a wash basin and began to wash the disciples' feet, drying them with the towel he was wearing. When Jesus came to Simon Peter, Peter said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? Jesus replied, you don't understand what I'm doing now, but you will understand later. No, Peter said, you will never wash my feet. Jesus replied, unless I wash you, you won't have a place with me. Simon Peter said, Lord, not only my feet, but also my hands and my head. Jesus responded, those who obey need only to have their feet washed because they are completely clean. Your disciples are clean, but not every one of you. He knew what He knew who would betray him. And that's why he said, not every one of you is clean. After he washed the disciples' feet, he put on his robes and returned to his place at the table. He said to them, do you know what I've done for you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you speak correctly because I am. If I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you too must wash each other's feet. I have given you an example Just as I have done, you also must do. I assure you, servants aren't greater than their master, nor are those who are sent greater than the one who sent them. Since you know these things, you'll be happy if you do them. That is what we're called to do, not just on Sundays, but Monday through Saturdays as well. We glorify by serving others in everything we do as accountants, as lawyers, engineers, plumbers, mechanics. This is what it means to bring our faith to work. Please join me in prayer. Heavenly Father, the God of creation and the created, God of our worship and our work, give us the strength, give us the courage to carry our Sunday values and motivations into the world on Monday. 
Put us in the world to be stewards of your children and your environment. Show us how to see things with your eyes and act with your heart. Let us remember that no work is too menial, no challenge is too great, with you leading us each step of the way. You have given us our assignments and changed us to meet the needs of your changing world. May we step from our comfort zones to follow you faithfully out into the world where we work. In Jesus' name, let the people say amen.